All right. Are you ready to dive into the Word today? Um, I want to welcome all those who are watching online, and uh, I want to challenge you to get your Bible, get ready to receive from God today. I hope that you're experiencing His presence as we are here. I believe that God is not bound by these walls, but He wants to touch you, uh, and uh, he, he wants to be with you. He wants to know you and you to know Him. Uh, if you want to be a part of our, of our giving, there should be a place online there where you can do that. And uh, so many of you already do. I thank you for your generosity, for your giving, for your sacrifice. I pray that God would be with you today. 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 1. 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 1. If you're there, say amen. amen. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines and encamped besides, beside Ebenezer. And the Philistines encamped in Aphek. Then the Philistines put themselves in battle array against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was defeated by the Philistines who killed about 4,000 men of the army in the field. And when the people had come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us, that when it comes among us, it may save us from the hand of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring from there the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were with the Ark of the Covenant of God. Verse 5. And when the Ark of the Covenant of, of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted so loudly that the earth shook. I want to talk to you today as we continue our series about the privilege of His presence. Today's sermon is going to be entitled, the loss of his presence. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you that we have the opportunity, the joy to experience you today, to know you, to feel your presence. Lord, I ask that you would open our hearts, our minds, and our spirits to hear from you and to be challenged by the power of your word. Let my words not be mere words of man's wisdom, but lace them with the power of the Holy Spirit and the demonstration of your Son, Jesus. I, I thank you for it right now. Touch us today. Invade this place. In your name we pray. Amen. Last week, we talked about the place of God's presence. We recognize that in the Bible and in the earth today, God chooses specific places for His presence to be uh, stronger or more intense. If you were here, you were here, you'll remember that we studied how Jacob laid down in what seemed to be just a normal place, just a, a plot of ground. And he laid his head on a rock and had a dream and he woke up and he recognized and he said, my Lord, surely the presence of God is in this place. And this place is none other than the house of God. There was something on that piece of ground that separated it from a, a mile down the road. What was it? So we talked about some of these things. I, I want this house to be, this church to be one of those places. 
I want my home to be one of those places. I, when you come to my house, I want you to walk in the door and say, man, I feel the presence of God here. And I want the same thing for yours. I want my life to be a place where the presence of God dwells, where it's more intense, where he moves more, more freely. I want my life to be that way. But for this to happen, his presence must be at the very center of our lives. He gave instructions to the Israelites to make their camp with the Ark of the Covenant at the center. So, so uh, all these Israelites would build their camp around, but at the very center of this thing was the Ark of the Covenant, that which represented the presence of God on the earth. And, and our lives have to be the same way. We have to build our life around the presence of God. And finally, uh, we talked about how when the presence of God moves, we move with Him. And I don't want to live my life in such a way that I get stuck in one place and the presence of God has left me and I'm still there. But when you follow the presence of God, He will lead us and guide us into places we've never been. He led them into the promised land. He led them in victory when they followed after the presence. I want to be that type of person in my life that follows the presence of God. So I want to continue today in the Old Testament talking about the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of God on the earth. I've got a couple of pictures here that my team is going to help me with. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant is essentially a, a box. This is a replica of it. Uh, you may remember seeing something like this if you were an Indiana Jones fan. Um, it's essentially a box. Now, we don't have the real Ark of the Covenant. These are only replicas. The, the Ark of the Covenant was lost somewhere on this earth. It is probably covered up in rocks or something. I don't know where it is, but somewhere uh, we lost it. And, and so these are some pictures and some drawings of what we think it looked like. We have a very good picture, a, a pretty accurate picture of the measurements and what was on the box, but we don't fully know exactly what it looked like. So these are some different drawings as people have read the Bible and studied um, Hebrew writings of what they believe it looked like. A uh, couple things about it. Uh, it had cherubim on top, and between these wings, as we just read here in verse 4, uh, underneath these wings, between these cherubim, is where they believed and, and, and believed that the presence of God dwelt on the earth. It's also called, the top of the, is called the, the mercy seat, where the, the sacrificial blood was poured right there. Inside the box held three things. The tablets, which had the Ten Commandments, which Moses brought down from the top of Mount Sinai. It had Aaron's rod that had budded. And then it had the golden pot of manna all held within these things. It, this was what was beyond the veil. It was to be carried on the shoulders of the, of the priest. You see the, the rods that went through the bars there. That was so the priest could grab a hold of it and carry it. This thing wasn't to be carried on the back of a, a wagon somewhere. It was to be carried on the shoulders of the priest. But something interesting happens in 1 Samuel chapter 4. We pick up and it is about 500 years after the death of Moses. Moses is gone. Joshua has gone. We've come through the period of, uh, of the judges. It's why we have a book called the book of Judges. Because the leaders of Israel were men and women of God who were judging the nation. We didn't have kings. We had judges. And they would lead, they would lead the Israelites. Um, 
the Israelites in this, in this 500 years, as they entered into the promised land, were forever fighting. They were fighting the Philistines. They were fighting the Amorites, the Midianites, the Ammonites, the Moabites. They were fighting all the time. They were forever fighting uh, all the time. Just fighting, fighting, fighting. And, and if you read the Old Testament, you find it seems like more than anybody else, they fought the Philistines. You remember David and Goliath. Goliath was, a, Goliath was a Philistine, right? They were forever fighting the Philistines. In this time, in this story, in 1 Samuel chapter 4, Eli is the high priest. Eli uh, had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, that the Bible tells us were wicked men. They were, they were priests. They served uh, before the Lord, but I assure you, they were wicked men. They despised the sacrifice. They despised the offering. They despised the worship unto God. They would literally steal it from God. You came in to bring your offering, they would take it from you. uh, Because they despised uh, giving to God in this way. They were were wicked and and corrupt men. So God raises up Samuel. Samuel as a young man... You may remember the story. He is dedicated to God and he is uh, living there with Eli. And God begins to speak to Samuel in the middle of the night. And, but Samuel has never heard from God. He thinks it's Eli calling him. So he runs in there to Eli and he says, yes, sir, what, what do you need? And Eli said, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. So he goes back to bed and he hears God speaking to him again. And he runs in there and he says, hey, Eli, you know, what do you need? And Eli says, it wasn't me. Go back to bed. They go through this little uh, deal back and forth a few times. Finally, Eli says, listen, it's not me. It's God speaking to you. So here's what you do. The next time he speaks, you say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel goes back to bed. Sure enough, here comes the voice. Samuel. Samuel jumps up and says, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And in that process, God begins to speak to him. And, and Samuel begins to prophesy before the Lord. And what is amazing about Samuel is that not one word that he spoke as a prophet of the Lord fell to the ground. That means that every single thing that he ever spoke came to pass. Ooh, this dude was powerful. Samuel goes on to anoint Saul as king and then David as king. But we find ourselves here with the Israelites at war with the Philistines yet again. They went out to battle and they lost. 4,000 men died there on the battlefield that day. 4,000 Israelites. The Israelites come back and they ask this question. They ask the right question. Here's the question. Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Now notice, they didn't say, why did the Philistines defeat us today? They said, why did the Lord defeat us before the Philistines? They asked the right question, but they don't wait for the answer. They come up with their own solution. They come up with their own answer. They come up with their own plan to get out of this deal. Here's their plan. There's their solution. Let's go get the Ark of the Covenant and take it into battle. This is something that had been done before. Moses had done it against the Midianites. Joshua had done it when he went into the battle of Jericho. The Ark went before them. Uh, it, was, it happened again. Saul would take the Ark into battle. David would take the Ark of the Covenant into battle. But there was something different on this one. They knew they needed God's help winning the battle. But what they did was they tried to force God into fighting for them. 
Rather than asking or letting him answer the question, why did the Lord defeat us today before the Israelite, before the Philistines? They, they just said, well, we don't really care why. Let's just make God fight for us. So we'll take the Ark of the Covenant in. Why has he defeated us? Right question, but didn't wait on the answer. They came up with their own solution to override God's plan. You know, here's the truth. If you're going to ask God and say you're going to follow God and you want to trust in God, do it. Don't get in the middle of the battle when you need to trust him more than anything and then pull out and say, forget it. I can't do this. We're, we're going to go a different direction. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna try to make God work for us because we don't like his plan. But their solution makes the problem even worse. Let's pick up here in verse 5. Uh, verse 6. Now when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, what does the sound of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? Then they understood that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp. So the Philistines were afraid. For they said, God is coming to the camp. And they said, woe to us, for such a thing has never happened before. Woe to us, who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. They could have pulled out right there, but, but they didn't. Here's what the Philistines do. Be strong and conduct yourselves like men, you Philistines, that you do not become servants of the Hebrews as they have been to you. Conduct yourselves like men and fight. They had a chance to back away and run, but they didn't. They fought anyway. The result of the battle is this, verse 10. So the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated and every man fled to his tent. There was a very great slaughter. And there fell of Israel. Listen to this. 30,000 foot soldiers. Now wait a second. They, they lost 4,000. They get the Ark of the Covenant. That's supposed to help them win. They go back into battle. They lose 30,000. We're going the wrong direction here. What is off? Every other time when they took it into battle, they had won. What happened now? What, what changed? You see, they thought when they lost 4,000 that that was God causing them to lose. And when they lost 30,000, that was God on their side. But what if they got it totally wrong? What if when they lost 30,000, God wasn't with them? And when they lost four, God was actually protecting them. We, we look at things in our life when the devil's coming against us and we say, where is God? But sometimes we have to the question and ask the question, where would we be if God wasn't protecting us? But let's go look and, let, and let's see what's different here. Back to verse 3. Back to verse 3. Let's take a look. Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Notice now, it's not the Israelites versus the Philistines. It's God versus the Israelites. Here's what they do. Here's their solution. I'm going to emphasize one word, and then, I'm, and then I think you're going to see what the problem was. Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us, that when it comes among us, it may save us from the hand of our enemies. For the Israelites, it wasn't God that would save them. It was the Ark of the Covenant that would save them. God is not an it, but a he. They got their eyes off of the one whom the Ark represented. 
and they got their eyes on a box. The box was just a box if there was no presence there. It was just a box covered in gold with angel's wings on the top of it. That's all it was. But when the presence of God was there, it's what it represented. You see, what we have to recognize in our life is that we can't get our eyes so much on the perfect way or the perfect strategy or the perfect formula. They thought the Ark of the Covenant was, was a good luck charm or, or a magic formula. And if we can just go get the magic formula, everything will work out like we want to. If we can just manipulate God just right, we'll put Him in a position where he has to work for us, and if not for us, for his own namesake. And, and, and God was trying to show them, listen guys, you've got this thing wrong. It's not about the box, it's about my presence. They wanted a magic solution, a magic formula, a good luck charm, and, and, and God wasn't into all that. Get the box, it will work. Bring it in here. They bring it in. They shout so loudly that the earth shook because they just knew we got the box. It's over. And God was just saying, no, it's not over. The next day, 30,000 people gave up their life. We have to be careful in our lives that we don't get our eyes off of him and on to the way we always do things. Looking for magic formulas, the perfect song, the perfect method, the perfect style. We have to remember it's not about that. It's about his presence. Watch what happens in verse 11. Also, the ark of God was captured. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. Now they have a real problem. Because now... The Ark of the Covenant is gone. It's in the hands of the enemy. The thing that represented the presence of God. The thing that their whole life was built around. Gone. Verse 19, or excuse me, verse 12. They come back and they tell Eli. Eli again is the high priest, the father of Hophni and Phinehas. He's standing there. At this point, he's 98 years old. He's, he's an old man. He's, he's very, very large. He's sitting on a stool. And they come in and they tell him the news. So the messenger answered and said, Israel has fled before the Lord. There's been a great slaughter among the people. And your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. And the ark of the God has been captured. Now watch the order of the news here. Because the order is very important. Because they start with the bad news. It's all bad. But they start with the bad. And then they get to the worst. Here it is. Israel fled. There was a great slaughter. We lost 30,000 soldiers. Your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died. Now, when he was told none of these things, he hardly responded. He could handle that. He could handle Israel fleeing. He could handle the the 30,000 men being lost. He could even handle the death of his own two sons. But, in verse uh, 18, when he heard about the ark, watch here. Then it happened, when he, had, when he made mention of the ark of God, that Eli fell off the seat backward by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died. He could handle all the other news, but when he recognized that the ark of the covenant, that the presence of God was gone, it, it hit him so hard, he fell back. Fell on his neck and he broke it. And he died right there in that moment. He recognized the magnitude of the loss that had just happened. He knew we've lost battles before and won battles before. 
We'll lose more and we'll win more. It'll happen. I've lost my sons. Other people have lost their sons. But when you lose the presence of God. Verse 19. They come in. They tell Phineas' wife. uh, They tell her about the battle. They tell her that her husband is gone, her brother-in-law is gone, and that her father-in-law is gone. She's pregnant at the time, but she wasn't really ready to have that baby. But as soon as she hears the news of the ark uh, being lost, it, it sends her into labor. She begins to have a baby, and a, and a son is born. Now, in the Hebrew culture, a, a, having a son is a wonderful thing. It's a time of celebration. It's an honorable thing. So when, you, when a baby was born, remember, they didn't know if you are going to have a boy and girl until it came out. They didn't have uh, all the tests that we have today in 3D imaging and 4D imaging to give you a picture of your baby before you ever see it. No, it popped out, and you found out it's a boy or it's a girl. And so when it was a boy, there was a huge celebration. It was a big deal. So here is this woman. She has a son, and, but she doesn't celebrate. In fact, the Bible says she doesn't even regard him. She, she hardly even looks at him. I had a son. Great. That's awesome. Wonderful. Then she names him. Well, on a day like this, as your husband has just died and your father-in-law has just died... It would be common to say, you know what, I'm going to name him, I'm going to name this son after his father or after his grandfather in remembrance of them. But she doesn't do that. She names him after the most important event that's ever taken place in her life. She names him Ichabod. Ichabod literally translated, we, we, we read here in verse 21, the glory has departed from Israel. Verse 22, she said, the glory has departed from Israel. For the ark of God has been captured. She recognized the importance of the moment. We've lost the presence of God. We've lost the ark of the covenant. We've we've lost the presence of God in our lives, in our nation, in our church. We've lost it. He's gone. He's gone. We still have the priests. We still have the the tabernacle of Moses, but we have no presence. She named him Ichabod. I wonder if you were to go from church to church across our nation, how many God might actually call Ichabod. Because they have a pastor, and they have worship leaders, and and, and they have a, a church house, and they have people. But they have no presence of God. And he said, the glory of the Lord has departed from you. Lord, I don't want this to be a house called Ichabod. But I want your presence to dwell here. I wonder how many of our homes, Christian homes, you could go to and Ichabod is above the door. It's not that you don't love God, but his presence has departed from you. His presence isn't in your home. He's not there. I wonder in your life if you could be called Ichabod and his presence has departed from you. Again, you love him. You're there. You're trying to do the right things, but no presence. Second Timothy chapter three, verse five. I think he was referring 
to churches like this, to people like this, when he said they have a form of godliness, but they lack power. They lack the power of his presence. I don't want that to be us, and I don't want that to be you. Well, let's fast forward a little bit to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 6. While Samuel ministered, there was mostly no ark in Israel. For much of his time, uh, they got it back from the Philistines and then they lost it again. And it was lost. But then, then Samuel anoints David as king. And he anoints a different kind of man as king because David loved the presence of God. He absolutely loved the presence of God. He loved being in his presence. He, he said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. He loved being in the presence of God. So in verse 12, David is now king over all of Judah and all of Israel. So all of the tribes of Israel, David is the king. David, it's one of the first things he does uh, is... One of the first few things on his list to do is to get the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem, into the city of David, back into the tabernacle, which he had built to house the presence of God. So he, he builds a, a tent, a church, and he says, we're going to get the, the, the presence back here. We're going to get the Ark back. So he goes and he gets it back. Let's read in verse 12. Now, it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the Ark of God. So David went. And brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. And so it was, when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. Now as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David... Michal, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. Verse 17. So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. David goes to the house of Obed-Edom, and he gets the ark of the covenant. And here's what he did. The priests were carrying the ark on their shoulders. Every six steps, they stopped and sacrificed. One, two, three, four, five, six. Hold everything. David is dancing and worshiping. The people are celebrating. They're shouting. They're playing the trumpet. They're, they're singing. They're, they're, they're dancing. I mean, they're just having one massive worship service. The priests stop, and, and David instructs them, we're going to offer a sacrifice right here, oxen and fatted sheep. And then they start walking again. One, two, three, four, five, six. Stop. We're going to worship again. They go on and on and on like this, all the way from the house of Obed-Edom, all the way into Jerusalem. Every six steps, they stopped. And all the while, David is worshiping. David is singing. David didn't get tired, and he didn't get weary. He just kept worshiping. That is one long worship service right there. That's one long worship service, but they just stayed with it because they recognized that we're not just doing anything here. We're not going to get in a rush, but we're going to do things carefully and in order because we're bringing back the presence of God. They recognized the importance. You, you, you see, Eli 
And his daughter and I realized the importance of when they lost it. David recognized the importance of getting it back. What we have to be careful of is losing the value of his presence where it becomes just natural and predictable and we just do it because, well, God is always there. And it, we, we lose the heart behind it. We lose the love behind it. We lose the passion behind doing what we're doing. And, and we get caught up in, well, it's just a song and it's just lights and it's just words on the screen. Well, it's just the, the worship pastor. No, 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 no. It's about the presence of God. Verse 20, then David returned to bless his household and Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, how glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of the servants as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. Now, this may sound like a wonderful statement to you, but if you remember from one of the verses I just read, this same woman who's the wife of David despised him when she saw him worshiping like this. So this is not a nice statement. This is straight sarcasm from the Bible. Did you know sarcasm was in the Bible? This is it right here. She says, How glorious is David, king of Israel. He's just dancing and worshiping. He's got his uh, ephod on. He took off his robe. He's supposed to be a king. And now he's just, he's just floating around like some little fairy, just having a good time. That's my version. That's the Clark translation right there. That's what we call the RCV, the Randon Clark version right there. She's just having, and just, just dripping with sarcasm. But I, but I love David because he's like, you know what? You know what, woman? Two can play this game. He comes right back at her. He, watch what he says. So he said to her, it was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father in his house to appoint me ruler over the, over the people of the Lord over Israel. Watch what he says. <clears throat> you want to talk about me like that? Your daddy used to be king. He ain't king no more. <laughs> I'm the king. <laughs> oh, and by the way, you, you wouldn't even be a queen if it weren't for me now. You would be one of those low, lowly little maid servants if it wasn't for me. So you best sit down and shut your mouth. <laughs> Again, RCV right there. But he comes right back at her and, and he, says, he says, listen, I'm going to worship. He goes even further. In verse 22, watch what he says. And, and just, if nothing else, just to get back at you, McCall, I will be even more undignified than this. I had the linen ephod on. I'll go further. I was kind of doing a nice, little, a nice little dance right here in my own zone, but now I'm taking it out big time. Now I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm, go, I'm just going to be even more undignified. Now, I, I like dignity, but you have to understand the, the status of David's heart. Whatever it takes to worship God, that's what I'm going to do. You don't like it? So be it. I'm going to worship Notice that David removes his kingly robes because worship is the great equalizer. It didn't matter that David was a king. 
It, it doesn't matter if he was a king or a priest or a maidservant or a base fellow. It didn't matter. He was there to worship God. And in the same way in our lives, worship is the great equalizer. It doesn't matter if you're the pastor or you work at a refinery or, or you work on computers or you're a nurse or a school teacher or, or work in a restaurant. Whatever you do in your life, it doesn't matter. We're all on the same level when we come in to worship God. We lay all of that to the side. This is what the world sees. Now I'm here to worship. I'm here to worship. It's the great equalizer. He said, Pastor Renan, I, I can't do that. I, I'm not an elder. Doesn't matter. Worship. Well, I, you know, I hadn't been in church real long. Good for you. Worship. Well, Pastor, I've been around a long, long, long time. Man, that's wonderful. I've been in the best services. Good. I, uh, worship. You've been here a day. You've been here a lifetime. Worship. Worship. Because we all come into his presence the same way. We have all have the same access. David said, I will humble myself. You see, David remembered who he was without God. He said, God chose me to be the king. David was just a shepherd. David was the youngest son. He was the lowest on the totem pole. He was so low that his father didn't even think to bring him in when Samuel said, I've come to anoint the king. He, Jesse forgot about him. Samuel said, do you have any more sons? Uh, oh, I totally forgot. David, the little, little runt, is out in the pasture with the sheep. David recognized, man, without God, I am nothing. I didn't make myself king because of how great I am, because I'm a mighty warrior, because I can sling a slingshot. No, no, no. God made me king. I didn't do it. God made the decision. You see, Saul forgot that. Samuel said to Saul, when you were small in your own eyes, God raised you up. Saul forgot it. David didn't. D David humbled himself. He removed his robe. He removed his pride. He removed his status. He removed his image. He removed what the world thought he was. What he thought of himself. He put it all to the side and said, I'm here to worship. God gave it all to me anyway. He knows who I really am. So I'm going to worship. In this, we find one of the keys to the presence of God. To having his presence in our life. And to really entering into worship. We got to forget who we are. But remember who we were before Christ. That helps us to remember and to recognize what he's done for us. I was a slave. I was broken. I was messed up. I was far from him. I was going down a path of destruction. But then he came in. And he saved me, and he freed me, and he healed me, and he fixed me, and he got me back on the track, and he gave me a new life, and he blessed me, and he gave me a family, and he gave me a church that loves me, and a God that loves me, and, and he turned it all around. So you can mock me if you want to, you can say what you will, you can do what you, you can think however you want to think of me. I don't care, because I'm going to lift my hands, and I'm going to worship, and I'm going to shout, and I'm going to sing, and I'm going to dance, and I'm I'm going to get on my knees because it's not about you. It's about him. It's about him. 
David realized, I don't care what you, this is his wife talking. I don't care what you say. It is about God. He knows me. I would still be in the pasture. I would still be taking care of the sheep. So I will worship him. I will. I will. Do what you will. I'm going to worship. She can't take it. She can't take it. He's celebrating. He's rejoicing. He's singing and dancing and shouting and lifting his hands and and creating a new form of worship in this moment. But she can't take it. David saw himself as a worshiper. How do you see yourself? No, Pastor Ren, I I can't do that. Um, You know, I just, I don't worship. Uh, You know, I don't, that's not how I do. That's not, that's not how I roll, Pastor Ren, and I just don't do it like that. Really. She couldn't take it. She couldn't take off of her image. She was the queen. She wouldn't take it off. She wouldn't lay her pride down. Get a picture of this. David is not dancing around in his underwear. David is wearing a linen ephod. A linen ephod was the the robe that the priests wore. So now you get a glimpse at how she really viewed this thing. David, you were up here as king, but you lowered yourself to that of a priest or a worshiper, and I can't handle that. You're not supposed to be doing this. She wouldn't do it. She says, no way, I'm having none of it. Here we see the result of the resentment, the disdain, and the refusal to worship. Here it is, verse 23. Therefore... Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Notice that word, therefore. Something happened which caused something else. She disdained the worship and refused to lay down her pride, her image, her status, her way. She refused to lay it down. And therefore, she was barren. What a challenge to the church today. If we refuse to worship and we disdain the worshipers, refuse to value the presence of God before who we think we are, we'll find ourselves as a barren church. Empty altars, an absence of power, no celebration. No fruit being born. What about us as individuals, as Christians? The the barren believer, a person that won't worship. No power, no celebration, no fruit. You see, worship and humility produce fruit in our lives. Worship may change with cultures. It may change as the years go along. It may change as you go from church to church, but the matters of the heart don't. David was a worshiper. He said, I'm laying it all down to worship you. We have a unique culture of worship here at Triumph. Maybe you love it. Maybe you don't. But we have a unique culture. But at the heart of it all is a group of people who say, we're here to worship God. When we walk in the door, we put aside what we do. We put aside uh, uh, how uh, our jobs, we put aside our personalities, and we say we're here to worship the Lord today. 
I'm going to worship you. I'm going to worship. I'm just going to worship. So you see some who lift their hands. You see others who, who come to the altar. You see others who kneel. You, you see others who sing really loud and some who don't. But my question to you is, will you worship? Will you recognize the value of the presence of God or will it be lost from you? Because when it's gone, your life becomes barren. Won't produce I don't want that to be you. And as long as I'm here, that won't be the heart of this house. We're here to worship. Would you stand with me today? We're going to close this morning in the same way that we have for the last few weeks as we've been in this series, just worshiping God. Just a time to enjoy His presence and and be with Him for a moment. To thank Him. To give Him praise and honor and glory. To lift our hands. To lift our voice. Many of you have. And and these altars will be open again today just to come and to worship Him. Some have knelt before Him. Some have stood, lifted our hands. Whatever it may be, you're here to worship. We, We want you to have that opportunity today. Before we do, I want to ask you a question Then I want to pray with you. Is your life or areas of your life barren, not producing, no power, no movement, no life, no energy? Do you need to submit those areas to God and begin to worship Him, lay those things down and worship Him? I want to break that curse today. I want to pray. I want to break that curse. If you're watching at home, I want to break that curse over your life doesn't have to be that way anymore. I'm going to break it, and then we're going to worship. I'm going to bless you. The, the Bible says that David came in, and as when, the, when, the, when the presence of God came, immediately, as he worshiped, he blessed the people, and he sent them home with a blessing. I want to send you home with a blessing today. So we're going to break the curse, and then we're going to replace it with a blessing. How many of you want a blessing in your life today? Father, right now, for every area of our lives... And for every person in this room or watching online, wherever they may be, Father, if we have been barren because of a lack of worship, please forgive us. Give us a chance to start again, a clean slate. Lord, we don't want to be like David's wife who was barren forever, but we want to produce fruit. We want your power in our lives. We want to celebrate you in our lives. We want to worship you. Forgive us, O God. And Lord, I replace that as we break that curse of barrenness off of every area of our life, every person, every church. Father, we break that off right now and we replace it with blessing. A blessing of fruitfulness. A blessing of reproduction. A blessing of everything our hand touches being turned to success. A blessing of favor on our lives, oh God. A blessing of power. A blessing of celebration, of healing, of restoration, of joy, of of gladness. Uh, I thank you for that. God, I bless the people of God right now. In your name we pray. Father, we come here to worship you today. We love your presence.